and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. It has been one heck of a week this week. It's been a week. Today was like off the chain. Yeah, arguably this was one of the best races. This is one of the most eventful races that we have had in a very long time. It was. I hardly could nap. <laughs> Actually, I couldn't nap at all, but <laughs> yeah. that was beside the point. Yeah, there, there was just way too much going on. But even before we got to race weekend and before we got to the race, there was a ton of stuff that happened. Well, basically, the crazy meter just got turned up on Formula One <laughs> in incredible ways. But the thing is, we're not even going to start with Formula One. Where we are actually going to start is... Is with the warning that this show might go long and you need to go get a drink and go potty. Wash your hands, please. And then settle in. Take the long way home. This would be the day for the long workout. If you're training for a marathon, this is your long run. Okay, that, that's fair. That's where we need to start. Now you can go outside of Formula One okay. and share the good news of the week. So we're going to start actually outside of Formula One and, uh, well, at, in Indy, quite frankly, at IndyCar. Okay. Um, this weekend was uh, the Honda Indy... Toronto. Yeah, it was in Toronto. I don't remember the exact name, but it's another Honda race. It's not the Indy 200, I don't think. It's like the 300. It's some. It's a Honda, Indy, and some number in Toronto. <laughs> That's all you need to know. It's all that matters. But the whole reason that we're actually talking about it, and we, we want to mention it, now if you remember last year at Pocono was that incredible accident uh, with Robert Wickens on like lap seven, um, lost control of the car, thrown into the fence. Um, the car shredded and... Robert came out essentially, well, not essentially, as a paraplegic. Correct. He is back on the track this weekend. He's on the track? Driving a car. Not just like walking and wheeling around. So, does he have a modified car? Yes. Uh, he will be dri- He drove today a specially equipped, and, and I say today is because it's Sunday as we're recording after the race, um, a specially equipped Acura NSX with hand controls in the lead up to the race. Wow. Yeah. How did he do? Um, well, it wasn't a time lap or anything like that. But Somebody had a stopwatch. Come they, on. They, they probably did, but we don't have that info. We just know that Robert is back behind a performance automobile driving a car faster than we probably can. Well, I don't like to go fast. You just like watching cars go fast? Yes. I very much like Sir Patrick Stewart that way. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I mean, it is a decent uh, a decent philosophy. Uh, but it's good to see that Robert is out. And, yeah, unfortunately, we probably won't see him in an Indy car. But well, Think I'm, about the story that would be. You know, I, I think you'll, we'll probably see just the fact that he could be out racing road cars. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so from IndyCar also this weekend was the season finale in New York of the Formula E season, the 2018-2019 Formula E season. Oh, I didn't realize that was the finale this week. Yes, uh, the finale was in Brooklyn. Um, Jean-Eric Verne won his second Formula E title. 
Now, Jean-Eric Verne was a former Formula One driver, and we're very proud of him. Well, not just a Formula Formula One driver. He was partnered with Daniel Ricciardo at Toro Rosso. Mm-hmm. And Red Bull elected to take Daniel, and it was a good choice. I it, don't fault that at all, but that left Jean-Eric Fern without a future in Formula One, and he has had great success over in Formula E. Um, so where the, the overall standings are, and, and I, I wanted to call this out because there's a couple of folks that, that we do follow to some extent in Formula E and wanted to see success with. Um, so... In the Constructors' Championship, um, Jean-Eric Fern's DS to Cheetah Formula E team, team won the championship with 222 points, followed by Alan McNish's Audi Sport ABT Schaffler team with 203 points. Go, McNish. Awesome. Um, the other team of interest, unfortunately not quite as successful, um, that would be the Venturi Formula E team with... Uh, uh, Felipe Massa driving and Susie Wolf, yes, Toto's wife, as the team principal. Unfortunately, they were only in eighth with 88 points, and in the last four races, they only had four points. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Sorry, Susie. But the other reason, as we came into the season finale, the other reason why I wanted to mention Formula E is because it turns out that well, now all of the teams, it started with a handful of the teams, and now all of the teams um, are living by these immortal words from Nicky Lauda. Normally, as you know, in Formula 1, all loopholes are used. Yeah. <laughs> Even to cheat if necessary, as long as you don't get caught. Well, it's been discovered that initially a few of the teams, and now all of the teams in Formula E, are using a secret, well, no, it's not so secret, traction control system, which, by the way, is illegal. So cheat if necessary as long as you don't get caught. So what they have figured out how to do is they're not using a mechanical traction control system, which is, you know, kind of what we have in the road cards. It's not that type of a system. So that's how they have managed to stay fairly undetectable in what they were doing. Um, but there was a wet race a couple of weeks ago that folks were watching how the cars were behaving and realized that, hey, wait a minute, something's not right here. Well, what the teams have figured out is that this is an electronic throttle control system. It's controlled by software. And by changing the mapping of the throttle response in certain conditions, you can mimic a traction control system. Oh, that is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) that is so cool no from an application into the real world yeah i mean think about it if it could be software driven does that make traction control something that would be easier to put into road cars could it become better and smarter well it it depends on the kind of car because remember formula e the way the engines are completely different than a typical internal combustion car. Right, because it's electric. Yeah, well, it's, it's more than just that, because it's not one single electric motor that drives the whole car. Just like in a Tesla or something like that, it's actually four separate motors. Mm-hmm. So in an electric car, 
whether it's Formula E or a Tesla or a Nissan Leaf, yes, you can do this kind of throttle mapping to provide traction control type services. With a gas-powered car, you really can't do that because you don't have... You're, you're not, not changing the... You don't have multiple engines to, to control. Right. But that's super cool. I mean, that's an interesting development in the electric world. Yeah. And in typical fashion, the FIA is ste- now stepping in and saying, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> it's really cool, but no. So now... Going into next season as part of the homologation of the equipment that the teams use, they have to submit their throttle maps to the FIA for inspection. Oh. Yeah. To make sure that nobody is doing that. But yes, absolutely genius. I love it. I love it. Plus, I mean, they are embodying Nikki Lauda's legacy right there. <laughs> I think Adrian Newey also said something very similar to that, too. He probably did, too. Well, he talked a lot about reading the rules for the edges. And what you want to be is you want to find that thing that the rules didn't mention and mm-hmm. exploit it. Which, in this case, we're talking throttle map. Exactly. So, Jean Todd, president of the FIA, is looking for ways to fix formula. I can audibly roll my eyes, right? Potentially. What he is looking, what he thinks is the, the, or at least a potential solution, I don't know if it's the solution, but a potential solution would be to bring back refueling. As much as we know, the teams absolutely hate this idea. The teams hate this idea. The tracks aren't set up for it. I mean, there's there's so much about it. The tracks were never set set up for it before. So the, the idea... His thought process here and, and, and why he is once again kicking off an exploratory committee to look at this is, again, looking at what tracks are set up for and, and issues around the racing. One of the things that he says is passing is so difficult. One of the reasons that passing is so difficult is because of the size of the cars. The cars are the size that they are because of the requirement that they need to carry as much fuel to carry the fuel, enough fuel to make it through the race. So by turning around and, and allowing refueling, you can make the cars have a smaller fuel tank and make the car smaller. By making the car smaller, they're make, you're, you're to some extent making them a little better suited to some of these older tracks or to Monaco. Yeah, but. There, there's, there's some other yeah buts there. Again, the reminder that besides the fact that the cost of these rigs is not something that the teams want to take on, um, it was ended essentially or, or ostensibly one of the reasons that they ended refueling was for the safety concerns. Because the teams were having trouble safely refueling the cars during a pit stop. And if anything, since refueling has gone away, not only are the pit stops faster, but there's more people involved in a pit stop than there were back then. Well, there's all of those concerns. But keep in mind, one of the other problems with refueling was that passing happened in the pits. It didn't increase passing on the track. 
it increased passing in the pits because you suddenly have 18-second pit stops. Yeah. So his, his argument there is that it changes the strategies. It does change the strategies. And I'm not exactly sure for the better. I don't know if it's the right answer. I really don't. And I don't believe, and I have obviously studied the technical regulations as thoroughly as any normal human. Um, I don't believe that the only reason that the cars are the width that they are, they're two meters wide, that is because of the gas tank. I think we have other technical regulations about downforce and the wings and all of those other bits that are dictating the width of the car. And that's the problem with these with these well, historic it's, it's tracks. Some of the problem. Some of the problem. What I think would be a better option, honestly, mm-hmm. and probably less popular, would be a smaller spec for Monaco, a different chassis for Monaco. Change everything. They kind of do that. Well, I know they I drop mean, the wings and they they do other things, but they could do something. Well, to they, they also change the steering max too, mm-hmm. because the only way they can make it around the the, uh, uh, the hairpin, the lowest hairpin. But change out, have a, a a different spec car, like almost like in a way, IndyCar, which has their oval spec version yeah. and their road course version and the oval specs are made to only go left they only do that mm-hmm. and I think that there would be something to say to identify like however many races have this issue and say for these races this is the spec chassis that you have to work with and it's smaller it's not two meters wide it's a meter wide it's whatever it's a meter and a half I mean that extra half a meter could be huge. It's like a mile in Formula One terms. Well, here's what we here's what we know. We know that whatever's going to truly make the cars race closer and make the racing better is absolutely not what they're going to do in 2020. I can guarantee that. They're going to say, we made these changes to make that possible, and everyone's going to look at them when they finally come out and go, that's not going to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. What happened the last two times they made the changes? Who was it? Martin Brundle that famously said, "You remember that time that <laughs> <laughs> we changed that qualifying?" Yeah. Yeah, and we did it for one race, and they actually did it for two, and then said, "Oh, that was bad." Yeah. Well, that clip was was after the first race, right? So that's why he said it that way. But yeah. Yeah, but we did. We actually had to live through that one twice for them yeah. to prove out that nope, that was stupid. And we'll go through that again. So we've been seeing increased, I hesitate to say success, but definitely better results coming out of McLaren as of late. Hey, I mean, quite frankly, Lando Norris had, what, his best start in Formula One to date? He did. Um, His finish was not. Oddly enough, it looked like essentially the starting and finishing positions of the McLarens, they basically just flipped. Yeah. <laughs> but Lando was, I mean, he was pumped. Um, he, he was. Actually, all the British drivers were. Um, really cool to see that, you know, even somebody like George Russell, who's stuck in the Williams for all its problems, is getting a lot of love and a lot of support out. 
Lewis says it's half a second a lap just to beat Silverstone. But over at McLaren. Yes. Um, we're learning more about the changes that have been coming about uh, in the last year or so to fix the fundamental issues. They did a ropes course, didn't they? They did a lot more than that. Oh, what did they do? Um, you know, we've heard about some of the mechanical stuff. We've seen some of those things. The new leadership that's come in. Well, McLaren has also now eliminated one... Well, they've gone one step further in de-Ron Dennising the team. Oh. So Ron Dennis had implemented um, an aerospace-inspired matrix setup. You know, Ron didn't believe that team principles were, were a thing anymore, and folks had three bosses, and then the bobs came in every so often. <laughs> so by matrix, let's let's just roll this back because my, not everybody necessarily knows what a matrix team structure looks like Mm -hmm. so I've actually worked successfully in one for a long time um and I've worked unsuccessfully in one too so (laughs) they 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 either succeed or fail yeah there is really no mid-ground in a in a matrix system but the idea behind it is this idea that you work within sort of synergy teams Mm -hmm. but your direct supervisor, you don't wind up with three bosses. Your direct supervisor is really only there for your growth and development within your specialty. So, like, if you think in terms of, like, a vehicle, mm-hmm. you may have a chassis team that's comprised of an aerodynamicist and a carbon fiberist and maybe a paint color person. And I'm making these things up. But the aerodynamicist would report up, like, structurally through the aerodynamics team and the guy that's in charge of the carbon fiber for the the Mm -hmm. chassis would report up through the carbon fiber team but they have to work together and in essence their day-to-day lives are working with each other even though they're they're they don't have a common supervisor so they don't have a common supervisor that's the concept and the idea behind it is to really create more of a it's a flatter environment and it's to create more uh, creative thinking and people working together across these like siloed team structures, these mm-hmm. areas of specialty. So I could see where it would be an innovative thought. Yeah. That said, you do can, in a poor implementation, you could wind up with three people trying to tell you what to do. Yeah, and the way it has been described as working over at McLaren was that traditional divisions of responsibility and tasks were distributed across different personnel. And that's probably where that failing happened. Well, especially if it's, we thought the Bobs were doing it, and it's really the Pauls should have been doing it. Yeah. You know, and what Boffin has this piece of that, and you, you could create inefficiencies, which sounds like McLaren really suffered from inefficiencies. Yeah, so that has now gone out the door. Um, they are restructuring the entire organization in a more traditional motorsports hierarchical manner, including, of course, now um, having a team principal again. Oh. Yes. Well, that's good. They need one of those. Going into this weekend, McLaren also, first team to come out and announce their 2020, yeah, their 2020 drivers, driver line. Isn't it wild that we're already at 2020? It, it does seem a little staggering that we're already talking about 
confirmed drivers for 2020, let alone just 2020 in general. I know. I know. It, 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 it's July, too, of 2019. Yeah. So, yeah, it's happening. So McLaren's 2020 drivers will be Lando Norris and Carlos, Carlos Sainz Jr. <laughs> so... Now, are they the first ones to have confirmed, confirmed? But, I mean, we have some like continuing contracts. Yeah, like we, we, Lewis we, is going to be at Mercedes next year. It, we, we've got some, some ongoing contracts that are still in place. But uh, in terms of drivers who did not have confirmed contracts at the start of the season through 20, these are the first ones to get announced. Um, but if you'll also recall that when Fernando left Formula 1 last year, mm-hmm. he said that he was going to be open and interested to, in returning to Formula One if a competitive situation presented itself. Clearly, said competitive situation is not going to present itself from McLaren. No. Even though Fernando is still currently contracted to the organization as a brand ambassador. He's not a test that- driver anymore. They, they've moved that along. Do you think that he's going to be brand ambassadoring much longer? I mean, the absolute shambolic experience at Indy 500 should have uh, severed that concept for a while. That might be why we have not seen um, Fernando Alonso doing any brand ambassadoring right now. But when um, McLaren was asked about it, and, and specifically... When Zach Brown was asked about, you know, well, what about Fernando? Because he said he'd come back if it was going to be competitive. You know, would you guys be open to him returning to Formula One with another team since you've now closed the door on him for 20? Mm-hmm. And Zach has said that, well, yeah, sure. If, if, if he wants to get back into Formula One, we would be happy for him to do so. It's just not going to be with us. <laughs> but, okay, now, now think. Think about this, though. Uh-huh. He wants to come back in a competitive... It's the only reason why he would come back is if he was offered a competitive seat. So he's not going to get offered a Red Bull. No way, no how. No, that's not the way their program works. Um, Mercedes has no reason to consider Fernando at all. No. I mean, even if Lewis decide, you know, at the end of the year, I've got all the titles I need. I'm good. I'm going to go retire and... and, and go design shirts and, and... Do my music? Do my music with the dogs. <laughs> if, if he decided he was going to do that at the end of the year, Toto Wolf's going to pick up the phone and he's going he's gonna to go, Esteban, let's go. Come on. He's going to bring Esteban Ocon. He's not going to, to Fernando. Do you think that he'd bring Ocon and make Valtteri the senior driver, honestly? Well, remember, they, Mercedes doesn't do a one and two, one and two drive. They, 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 that's Ferrari's game. Right, but I was thinking that they really do need, like, the, they need the superstar. Um, I mean, do you pull, do you make the phone call and go to Ricardo? I mean, well, do you... Th- that's one of the other things, and I didn't want to get too deep into that. So, Ricardo is not confirmed for 20 yet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if they wanted an another driver and they wanted a bigger name and for some reason didn't want to go with Esteban Daniel Ricciardo would probably jump at the chance to go to Mercedes if that was available okay but even so 
there's no chance that their pool they're not is calling, deep in. They're not calling Fernando. They're not calling Fernando. Ferrari has already danced with Fernando, and that ship is Well, sailed. one of the rumors that's flying around, and again, don't want to get too deep into that, because we're going to talk about Ferrari and all that later, but there is a rumor that, that has rolled around that said that Fernando has reached out to Ferrari about a possible return. I... Well, you know, if Raikkonen ever retires, maybe there's a seat down at Sauber for him. <laughs> I mean, that's where former world champions that aren't going anywhere, including leaving Formula One, go, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's an option for you. Um, yeah, I'm glad to know that McLaren was being gentleman enough to say, <laughs> you may go enjoy another team, but you won't have a future here. All right, so that's a confirmed set of seats for 2020. So our, our next round of stuff, and this is where, honestly, if you haven't already, buckle your seatbelts in for this bit of crazy. Oh, we're going to that crazy. Yeah, we are going to that crazy. And, and how I'm going to introduce this is I'm going to read a tweet that ended up on a certain organization's Twitter feed on Wednesday. You ready? <clears throat> Here we go. Quote, Today, at Rich Energy, terminate our contract with at Haas F1 team for poor performance. We aim to beat at Red Bull Racing and being behind at Williams Racing in Austria is unacceptable. The politics and PC attitude in at F1 is also inhibiting our business. We wish the team well. That is the most unique way to sever a contract I've ever seen. Yeah, so um, clearly nobody saw that coming. And even over at uh, Haas, you know, the racing team who Rich Energy is the title sponsor of, the response was, wait, what, huh? What, what is going on here? Um, Haas freely admitted the following Thursday morning as the press brief briefings and all were ramping up for Silverstone. Um, Haas freely admitted that um, they were totally surprised by this. Did not see this coming, didn't know anything about this. Um, so Gunther Seiner said Thursday morning that he could not elaborate much on the short statement. Um, Haas had issued a statement that said that basically this was a surprise to see the claim from, from Rich Energy. Um, and that the, the motorhome and the team gear would still be adorned with the team with the company's branding. Um, what Steiner told Motorsport was, I would like to tell you more, and I hope you respect that. I don't want to put anybody in a difficult situation, but I cannot say anything more about it. They will be on the car this weekend, and then the rest we need to sort out going forward what we're doing. The commercial agreement doesn't let me talk about it, and I don't want to stir it up anymore. So that was Thursday morning. That was Haas's response. So then we hear, a little later on, on Thursday, um, again from Autosport, they got word that from a source, they, they, they have not said who it is, but it's a source with Rich Energy, that, quote, the deal is not terminated, and William has no authority to do so. So the belief is that 
William Story, founder of Rich Energy, has control of the Twitter account. And that this message came from William Story. Oh my. So, again, so, anonymous source told Autosport, the deal is not terminated and William has no authority to do so. The investors are trying to clear up the PR mess, but it's business as usual. Okay. Okay. So, a couple of shareholders for, for the organization. Um, besides William's story, we have Brand Sellers Holding Limited, Robert Lee, Charlie Simpson, Neville Weston, and Lloyd Tuncliffe. And that's important because word is, in addition to that statement, that the shareholders were trying to maintain the relationship with Haas and salvage this deal regardless of what William's story posted on the Twitter feed. And, and Story has come out and confirmed that, yeah, that was him. Okay. He did that. Before Story had even gone that far, so Formula Spy, Thursday afternoon, gets word from Rich Energy through an unnamed spokesman. And later on, Haas sent out the statement that basically said this very same thing. It said, quote, the shareholders who own the majority of Rich Energy would like to clarify certain statements that have been circulated in the media from an unauthorized source. We wholeheartedly believe in the Haas F1 team, its performance, and the organization as a whole, and we are fully committed to the current sponsorship agreement in place. We also currently believe in the product of Formula One and the platform it offers our brand. It gets better. Wait. Clearly, the rogue actions of one individual have caused great embarrassment. We are in the process of legally removing the individual from all executive responsibilities. They may speak for themselves, but their views are not those of the company. The incident is very regrettable. We will not making any further comment on this commercially sensitive matter and will be concluding it behind closed doors. We wish to confirm our commitment to the Haas F1 team, Formula One, and to thank Haas F1 for the support and patience while this matter is dealt with internally. Wow. And it doesn't end there. What? So then we get to Friday. Friday, Story posts a letter from Haas. Um, he posted the photo of the actual letter. Um, the letter appears to have been addressed to Neville Weston, who, as we mentioned, one of the shareholders, one of the minority shareholders of, of Rich Energy, um, referring to the sponsorship agreement between the organizations. And the letter says, and again, this is from Haas to Neville Weston, we act on behalf of Haas who have asked that we write to you following your email to Gunther Steiner yesterday. And we haven't seen that email. It says, our client's position, and again, this is Haas, our client's position vis-a-vis -vis Rich Energy Limited and Mr. Story is as set out in the open letters, copies of which are attached. We haven't seen those. We understand that you are seeking to take control of the company away from Mr. Story, the current CEO. If that comes to pass, then our client will be happy to engage in without prejudice conversations with you, but they will need to see clear and unambiguous evidence that Mr. Story has been removed as a director of the company and that a new CEO has been validly appointed in his place. Given the information available at Company's House on Rich Energy Limited, including the sh its shareholder base, 
we are somewhat at a loss as to how you will be able to wrestle control of the company from Mr. Story. Oh, my. Furthermore, there is the outstanding claim for damages against the company for copyright infringement in relation to its logo that our clients are rightly concerned about the solvency and ongoing viability of the company. And oh, by the way, that letter was posted by William Story to the Rich Energy Twitter account. What? (laughs) That's how we got this letter. Story posted it to the account. There are no words. Yeah. So according to um, Companies House, which is the the British agency that registers corporate entities in the UK, um, it lists in 2018 William Story is holding 64 of 100 shares, while Neville Weston holds two. Two. Hence the, we're not sure how you're going to wrest control of the company from William Story. Exactly. The other piece that happened on that day was White Bikes deciding to chime in. With the reminder of uh, on July 11th was the deadline for the defendants of the trademark case, Rich Energy, William Story, and Web, the company that designed the Rich Energy logo, to pay in damages to White Bikes $44,500. That did not happen. No, because William Story was too busy on Twitter. <laughs> he well, couldn't possibly have written the check or sent the briefcase of cash over. He was on Twitter. We, we, we haven't gotten to the finances yet. Oh, no. So, first, White Bike's statement on this is that uh, the, the defendants in the lawsuit have failed to pay any of the costs awarded. Each of the defendants is jointly liable for the whole amount of costs awarded. White Bikes will now be forced to take appropriate action to recover the costs that they have been awarded. This may include applications to the court to wind up both Rich Energy and Web, and to petition for the bankruptcy of Mr. Story. Oh, my. Over $44,000. Okay, so how many piles of money could they possibly have if bankruptcy of Story is over $44,000. Oh, wait. There's more. Oh, wait, there's more. So, then we get to today. Sunday. So they got quiet on Saturday? They got quiet on Saturday. Um, Well, they got quiet for a little bit. Um, But the latest tweet from Rich Energy came out on Sunday... Um, and this was a letter addressed to Rich Energy CEO William Story from Haas's legal representation. Um, among other things, it details the terms of the partnership, which had been secret. Okay. So, let me read the letter. Again, it references the sponsorship agreement. There's some interesting jewels in this one, too. We act on behalf of Haas, who have forwarded to us a copy of an email from William Story, the CEO of, Richard Energy, of Rich Energy, to Gunther Steiner, team principal of our client. Again, haven't seen that email. It says it's attached, but he's not, he's not sharing that one. Um, in this email, Mr. Story purports to terminate the sponsorship agreement with immediate effect. This amounts to a repudiary breach of the sponsorship agreement by Rich Energy. 
our client has elected to accept this repudiary breach and claim damages. That's right. Haas is going after Rich Energy now, too. Oh, my. So here's the details. The first date on which Rich Energy could have been entitled to terminate the sponsorship agreement lawfully is December 1st, 2022. Our client is therefore entitled to recover by way of damages from Rich Energy the 6 million pounds currently outstanding for which an invoice has already been issued, as well as the sums due for the term year 2020 of 14 million pounds and for the term year of 2021 uh, 15 million pounds for a total of 35 million pounds. That's how much it cost Rich Energy to become a, a three-year title sponsor for Haas. All of 35 million pounds. But he doesn't have 44,000 pounds to pay White. Well, according to... Um, and Jalopnik had looked at this earlier in the year, and I don't have the exact date. They had done research... Oh, here it is. In 2017, okay, so admittedly, it's going back a little bit. 2017, financial records for Rich Energy showed that they had all of a bank balance of just 581 pounds. No, I did not misplace the decimal point or the commas. There are no commas. In. 581 pounds, and they managed to sign a deal for $35 million over three years. I don't understand. Nobody understands. Okay, I freely admit that finance was not my best subject in college, but I'm spitballing here. 35 million pounds is still greater than $581, well, right? It, well, 581 pounds, but again, pounds. that was 2017. They signed a deal in 2018. They had to come up with uh, where was it? They had to come up with in the first year six million pounds. So they had a swing of six million dollar six million pounds essentially. Well, At least they haven't paid it. They promised it. The, the, it says here they were invoiced from it. It's still due. Oh, I thought they were invoiced for the twenty nineteen of nine million pounds. Nope. Our client is therefore entitled to recover by way of damages from Rich Energy the £6 million currently outstanding for which an invoice has already been issued as well as the sums due for the term year 2020 of £14 million and for the term year 2021, £15 million. So £6 million is for the, probably for the term year of 2019. Yes. Okay. That's what it says. Currently outstanding. But there's more here. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. For the sake of completeness, we deal with two points raised by Mr. Story in his email. Again, we haven't seen this email. The first is that he alleges major issues with our agreement and the performance of the team. There is no basis in the sponsorship agreement on which Rich Energy are entitled to terminate the agreement based on any performance criteria of the Haas F1 team. Mr. Story also refers to the Rich Energy Stag logo being removed for the F1 race in Canada. As Rich Energy and Mr. Story are well aware, the Stag device was removed following a decision in the High Court in London that Rich Energy and Mr. Story had breached the copyright in this logo belonging to ATB Sales Limited, which is the parent company for white bikes. The suggestion that our client wrongly remove the infringing logo is therefore wholly unsupportable. And that doesn't even take into account 
the statements that we got from both Haas and Rich before Canada that said that, ha- that, that Rich asked them to remove the logo so it wasn't infringing. Rich put out those statements. Rich, not Story. Correct. Remember, Story now bordering on bat poo crazy. So the last paragraph of the letter. Oh no, it gets worse. We are instructed that if payment of the sum of 35 million pounds is not received by way of cleared funds within 14 days of this letter, our client will consider itself at liberty to issue proceedings without further notice. So White is going after them for 44,000 pounds. Haas is now going after them for 35 million pounds. Yeah. Oh, I hope they're sitting on some cash somewhere that nobody knows about. Oh, they're probably sitting on some cash that nobody knows about. That's probably, at this point, probably not legally gained. Well, that's why it's cash. So, yeah, you know, and and in the first round of emails, or or the first tweet, you know, I I loved how it mentioned that... um, they want to be doing better than Red Bull, and they're, they're in this heated com- uh, competition with Red Bull. And admittedly, Red Bull is known as a brand for pushing the edge and for, you know, pushing the limits and being kind of extreme and being kind of out there and trend setting and all of those various things. But I don't think anybody, I mean, say what you want about what Red Bull does and how they do their business and how they conduct themselves. I don't think that anybody, when they think of Red Bull, they think jackasses. <laughs> that was so not where I thought you were going. With I don't that. think anybody, when they think of Red Bull, thinks scumbags. But what have we seen that sounds remotely reputable? coming from Rich Energy. Okay, so absolutely in the camp of not defending jackasses and irreparable scum. I took that tweet to not mean the Formula One team. I took it to mean that Rich Energy was competing with Red Bull drinks. And and that's what I mean. And when you think of brands, and, and you think of a brand reputation around Red Bull as an as a drinks manufacturer, right? You know, you you, you think of extreme sports. You you think of you know the the Felix what's his face who made the the record setting high altitude parachute jump and the the Red Bull air races and the flute tag and you're not thinking of these guys are scum, and I don't know where they get their money from. Well, you definitely never think about, well, where do they get their money from? Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, Red Bull first was a highly successful drinks manufacturer. And then they pushed the limits in all of their extreme sports mm-hmm. to help support their brand of Red Bull gives you wings, and Red Bull pushes you to the limits, and all of that stuff. It's a well-calculated marketing maneuver, and awesome as a yeah. case study. But... All you can picture is this narrow-minded 
egomaniac with a Twitter account um, going, well, Haas made me look bad um, because they're not doing so well in Formula One, and so therefore it's making my my brand look bad, and I'm going to lash out. And, okay, here's, here's some advice for all newbie marketing folks out there from somebody that's got a, a bit of a history here. Twitter is not where you fight your battles. <laughs> no, that's Facebook, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Step away from Instagram. Social. Yeah, that's it. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. You do it on MySpace where oh. no one else is. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, you know, we used to do it on Google Plus, but they shut that down. So, well, there you go. Failed social media platforms for the win, Alex. Um, no, it's you just don't do this. It can all be handled. Sorry, it can all be handled elsewhere, but you don't do it this way. This is not the way it works. Um, yeah. So naturally, is there any more of the story part of the story? Because I do have a follow up. I, I, I'm sure this week. There's going to be more. I mean, as of when we recorded, the, the latest w- was now word that Haas is going after Rich Energy. And, you know, j- just to, to put these numbers in some perspective here, um, it's estimated that the deal, uh, the title sponsorship deal over at Mercedes AMG for Patronus is estimated to be in the area of about $75 million a year. Okay. The long-standing deal between Ferrari and Philip Morris, even though Philip Morris doesn't put their branding on the car anymore, and the only thing that is anything remotely related to them is the red. That deal, Philip Morris is paying $50 million. That part just blows me away. Like, I don't understand how that makes any sense. Like, how are you gaining anything? Yeah, I don't I don't understand. I, I because unless you kind of are in the know that that red is Marlboro red, and it's also Ferrari red. I'm kind of wondering if it's, and and again, since they they can't do advertising, if there's some other promotion that Marlboro, well, that Philip Morris does around its brands that they can feature the the cars in. Even if the cars don't have their logos in, maybe that's maybe it's it's maybe it's, it's backwards stuff. Maybe it's a backwards deal, but I yeah. just I still don't even understand that one. Um, but yeah, okay. So you don't even have a brand on the car, and it's fifty million a year. Mm-hmm. Rich Industries deal is thirty five million over three years. Yeah, I mean, so it's a bargain basement sponsorship. I mean. Hey, if we could get our logo on a car and never have to pay, I'm willing to, to sign up for that. <laughs> but it's the not paying part because I don't have 35 million pounds in my bank account. You know, there was a brief period that, that we were sponsoring a race car. It was a long time ago. It was, broken. It was in the mail balloon days. Yeah. Long time ago, we, we sponsored a race car. In the Mini USA Challenge Series? It's Randy Webb's car. Oh, yeah. He doesn't race anymore. The series is gone, but yeah. 
best way to kill a race car in a series is for us to sponsor somebody in it. Well, and you didn't get the blood. You no, didn't he, get the blood for the bird. It, I don't. I don't remember if he won, but it, it was a final shootout between him and Waylon. Mm. So I, he he might have gotten the male booty bump. He might have gotten the male booty bump. That's what. But the book of the bird bump is much much better. I mean, look at how well Robert McGinnis is doing. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't those white roof guys at all. It was it was us. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Robert McGinnis bump. That's yeah. that's pure book hey, of the bird. Hey, that that's new series and everything. I mean, there you go. That's solidly. Clearly. B and B B. So. B cubed. Did, did you have follow-up on this? So anyway, with all of the stuff that's going on with William's story and Rich Energy, mm-hmm. I am sure that the Haas boys were not at all distracted this weekend. <laughs> they had a bit of a trouble in Britain, didn't they? They, they, they kind of banged into each other. Yeah, I think, I, I honestly they think broke some... each other's cars. That's, well, even before One that of them happened, was tweeting and driving. Roman had an issue in, I think it was either free practice one or free practice two, that he spun out coming out of the pit lane and broke his wing. They were not having a good weekend. Yeah, well, Haas has not been having a good season this year. Well, I think they're having, you know, fourth year struggles. I think, you know, expectations are starting to get high for them and the pressure, they're starting to feel the pressure. Um, they're in a rebuilding year, obviously. Yeah. Building you. Anyway, so, so I got no points for Magnuson. Sorry. So let's go from... Oh, I can't use the word I was going to use. Let's go for, from crazy title sponsors to not at all crazy title sponsors. Okay. Um... Williams and their title sponsor, Rocket Racing, or, or Rocket Telecommunications. Actually, I think it's just Rocket. They're a telecommunications company. You did not know that. Um, Rocket, they're technically the Rocket Williams Formula One team. It is a title deal. Um, Williams has announced that they are, the, the two companies have extended the sponsorship deal from three years to five. So the relationship will now go through to the end of the 2023 season. And even though the team has not done well, um, regularly being the slowest at Grand Prix, uh, the owner of the organization, Jonathan Kendrick, um, said that he's really happy by the exposure that Formula One and the team have given him. So what he went on to say is that I'm happy with my brand recognition and what it's done for me. I sponsored the team to get my brand out there, and it's got my brand out there big time all over the world. It's even better than I expected. Our phones are going into 4,000 Walmart stores in the U.S., and in every car park, Rocket Williams has a banner. In India, Rocket Williams is going to be in every one of our Wi-Fi cities, so there's masses of potential for Williams to leverage their brand in a way they've never done before. Obviously, nobody's happy with finishing last, but I've been to the factory. I know what they are capable of. I've seen the incredible engineers they've got, and it's just a hiccup. It's cyclical, cyclical, isn't it? After Ferrari won with Jody Schechter in 79, it took them 20 years to win again. I know what they've planned. I've seen what they're doing. We've got to put the finances in place, which we are, and they will be back. I really believe that. That warms my heart. <laughs> like I said, from 
crazy title sponsors too. Not at all. So like realistic Full and heart, supportive and heartwarming and you know this it sucks to be last but it's good to work with we're you. We're just happy to be here, man. I know. I know. <laughs> My heart warms for them. <laughs> I I can't say more nice things about them. I mean, congratulations for extending the deal. I'm glad it's really working out for Rocket because Williams obviously needs the support and the money, and I think that's awesome. And hopefully they'll start building something that will get them podiums again. So Claire was also talking to the media this week. She did a lot of talking. There's actually there's a really good article on Autosport. You have to be a, a member. You don't have to be a paid member, but you have to be a member in order to read it. But she did a really good article. There's pictures in your house, by the way. Um, apparently, um, her and her husband are doing some driver talent spotting. That his Her husband is doing a lot of that. Um, one of the things that she mentions, though, is that growing up, she didn't really come to the track. Mm-hmm. It was just Frank didn't do that. And we, we've heard the stories uh, of how the, the time that she used to spend at the track, it was when she was working with the PR folks and she traveled with them. She didn't travel with, with Frank. And, and one of the questions that was asked her is, when is it Frank and when is it Dad? Mm-hmm. And she says, it's Frank whenever it's anything business-related and team-related. It's Dad when it's personal home stuff or with people that she knows really well. Oh. So that, that's where Frank and Dad... But she said Frank had a private jet that he flew to the right. The family never traveled on the jet, never did any of that stuff. Um, and she told a story of once that she was at the track once, got lost in, in the, and she was like 10 or 11 or something like that, got lost in the paddock and was in tears and somebody steered her back to hospitality because she was just kind of thrown out there. Um, the other thing that, that she mentioned, which I thought was really cool, was um, so... Briefly mentioned an embarrassing moment where Ayrton Senna saw her in her pajamas because the drivers used to sleep at the house every so often. And apparently Nigel Mansell once took her to a fair. Aww. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I still want to know who the driver was that made his bed that didn't get to drive for Williams. Yeah, I'm kind of kind of wondering about that. She won't, she won't say who that is. Yeah. Um, but she was also asked over the, this week about the speculation surrounding Robert Kubica and his future. Oh. Um, because there's been rumors that have been flying around saying that, you know, with Robert not doing well against George um, and really appearing to struggle in the car, that his days may be numbered and that Williams was considering that come midseason doing a driver swap and having Robert out of the car and bringing in Esteban. No. That's the the rumor that's been flying. Um, Claire's response is that she says that she finds this speculation quite frustrating. Because unless you actually know on the inside, you don't know what's going on. Our relationship with Robert is as strong as it was. He's getting his head down, doing what he needs to do, and we're trying to do everything that we can to give him a better car so that he can perform at the level that he wants to. As far as I am concerned, there are no frustrations certainly from our side i am sure he has a level of frustration because he doesn't have the equipment that he would like at the moment but we're only halfway through the season so it's a little early for us to start thinking about 2020 and a driver to line up for next year 
saying that we have started to think about it, but we're in no position to be making any final decisions yet, and that probably won't come until the third quarter of this year. There is no thought about replacing Robert at all during this season. Absolutely not. Okay. So there you go. The other thing that Claire has been talking about is that um, Williams' deal for Mercedes engines uh, runs out at the end of 2020. Okay. Um, There supposedly have been some rumors flying around that Williams might be talking to Renault about an engine supply. It's what the rumors have been flying around. However, Claire has come out and said that no, um, we're close to, to signing the deal to extend it past 2020 uh, into the new era that begins in 2021. And she reminds everyone that um, Williams has a very close relationship with Mercedes. They've, they've had success with Mercedes. And oh, by the way, Toto Wolf got his start in Formula One at Williams. We have a good relationship with Toto. And we <laughs> expect to continue that relationship. And keep in mind, you know that there was some backroom bargaining to get Valtteri out of Williams, like, right as Nico... Oh, Claire admitted it, too. There, there were deals that were cut specifically around the engine supply to compensate Williams for the loss of uh, Valtteri. And I'm, they all admitted it. I mean, yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if... You know, the phone call of, hey, you know, our contract's expiring. You took Valtteri from us. Um, we're we're going to do this again, and it's going to be favorable. <laughs> yeah. So, another shockingly not crazy title sponsor news. So, if you didn't know it, the Racing Point team, they have a title sponsor too. Sport Pesa. So, technically, they are Sport Pesa Racing Point. Right. Um, they have announced that they are launching a Grand Prix-based initiative to support the team's bid to raise more than 250,000 pounds for a breast cancer charity. So the way this is going to work, and this is actually brilliant, um, they're going to donate 1,000 pounds to breast cancer care for every place Sergio and Lance gain from their qualifying positions over the rest of the season. This is awesome. Lance always qualifies so badly. He has <laughs> so much room to make up. Which is probably why it was also pointed out that there's no cap on this. So Lance and his horrid qualifying, and when he wins this inevitable race that he's going to win someday, that'll be $25,000 right there. <laughs> so... The, the team, the Racing Point team itself, uh, they first started raising money for breast cancer care in 2017 as Force India. They had set a target for uh, raising 250,000 pounds for the charity by 2020. Already, since then, they've raised 212,000 pounds. Sport Pesa has promised to donate at least 50,000 pounds through its new initiative. Wow. And again, that's a thousand pounds per position, and they're going to, at a minimum, give them fifty thousand pounds. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was brilliant. It, it is. It is. It's it's an excellent interview topic. It's an excellent PR piece. It's outstanding. And again, it's not crazy. I was going to say, given the crazy that we had with title sponsors this week, you can only highlight no, this. Stuff. No. 
Let's be specific about the way we said that. The crazy we had with a title sponsor. Okay, fair Singular. Enough. There was no plural. <laughs> Others are being remarkably normal. In fact, I think they're standing up going, look at me, I'm very normal. True. The next piece of big news, and it really was big news. We're not going to talk about it a whole lot because you heard about it about 8,000 times over the weekend on the Sky coverage. And I, I applaud them for bringing it up as much as they did. It's big news. We don't need to get too deep into it. But Silverstone has signed a new F1 deal to remain as the host of the British Grand Prix through 2024. It, it, it's awesome. It's great. Um, we don't know the full deals on it. Um, but what we do know is that there were protections as part of this deal. We don't know exactly what they are, but there are protections in place now to protect the circuit and the British Grand Prix should a race be held in London. I think that was important. Yeah. But I think it's awesome. I'm glad that they were able to announce it at this race weekend and that nobody like started to have to say it's not going to happen anymore and all of that. And honestly, if there was any kind of punctuation point that was needed, or an exclamation point that was needed as to how important Silverstone is to Formula One and what Silverstone brings to Formula One, honestly, you just had to look at this this week's race. Oh my word. Oh my word. This week's race was phenomenal. I, I would I would go so far as you, you know, we had said back um twenty fifteen, the year that we had that Williams um almost won the race. We had the rain, and it was that sudden last-minute call by Lewis Hamilton to uh, put on his, put on, I think it was either Inters or West, but one of the, the, the wet weather tires, at just the right point that gave him the victory. We had said that year that that was arguably one of the best races we had ever seen, and we had called it race of the year. And deservedly so. This race was even better than that. Oh, and that race. one had us on our edge. This race was phenomenal. There was such wheel-to-wheel and incredible passes and places gained, places lost. I mean, heart in my throat during parts of those races. Okay, K-Mag hitting his teammate kind of sucked since it was points in the fantasy league. <laughs> but but to, to see... And, and, yeah, Valtteri got screwed by Giovinazzi. Not that Giovinazzi did it intentionally. But to see Valtteri have that great start and to go toe-to-toe with Lewis as much as he did, you want justification as to why Valtteri's still on that team. There it was. Oh, it, the Lewis pass on Valtteri and Valtteri kept taking, taking it, it right back. back. Oh my, you, you wanted to cheer for the poor little boy because that's never going to happen very often. And oh, it was so good. But, but while, while you're on that specific pass in general, who I did not want to cheer for were the producers of the world feed who cut away in the middle of that thing to show us the spectators. And then when they showed us the replay, still cut away at the same damn point. I know, I know. I hardly ever scream at the television. I mean, let's be honest. I hardly ever scream at the TV. 
Did I scream? <laughs> yeah. Did I have choice four-letter words for that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've had some times that they have cut away or cut to the wrong action. Mm-hmm. But that, ha- I mean, it. I get it. You want to show the excitement. You want to show the crowd. But the move wasn't done. Yeah, the move wasn't done. And you still had cameras. So even if you missed it on the first round, on the replay, you don't cut over. Yeah. But okay. Um, did you hear when Lewis overtook Valtteri? Did you hear the crowd? Like, they weren't mic'd. That was just the yeah. crowd getting picked up by the. Well, the of course we heard the crowd because the producers cut to them. No, it wasn't that part. It was while they were saying that Lewis passed. It, it, you just heard the, the screams through the yeah. commentary box. That was outstanding. And then Valtteri took it back. And Valtteri solidly had first. I mean, Lewis was pushing. He stayed within two seconds of Valtteri the whole time. I mean, that was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it it wasn't just the great battles we saw there. Leclerc and Verstappen, too. Another great round of battles. That was fantastic. And, yeah, that's going to be an interesting ride. I, I mean, we kind of saw it last in Austria. It's going to get better. I loved the comment of we're going to be watching those two fighting for position in 10 years. Yeah. That was outstanding. I mean, great drives. Absolutely great. Uh, Norris on Ricardo. I mean, mm-hmm. there were passes and interest and things happening at so many different parts of that track all at the same time. It never got boring. 52 laps went by in a heartbeat. Well, I, you know, I think there was about 15 laps that there was nothing happening. I, I, I may have actually dozed off in that part. I but. didn't doze, and I dozed at the <laughs> drop of a hat. Um, no. He liked it, too. Apparently. <laughs> Just for those that are following the sound quality issues, I'm going to take a little side. I am doing extensive sound deadening research for our open concept studio here. Um, I'm almost ready to start trying new options. So hopefully the echo and the uh, peanut galleries will be uh, <laughs> suppressed soon. Um, so some of the other stuff that happened. Other stuff. There, there were some other things, and, and yes, we're going to talk about um, Vettel's issue. Um, but some one of the other things that happened, which we didn't catch, they didn't talk about it, but Albin had a chance at a points uh, finish. Mm-hmm. He was doing fairly well. Well, towards, um, it was about 39, lap 40 or so, they were looking to bring him in to change out his tires. He'd done quite a bit on there. Um, but Toro Rosso and Honda decided not to pit him due to a high voltage issue. So what the concern was is, is as you'll recall, you know, these are turbo hybrid systems. They've, they've got high voltage, high voltage electric battery packs in them. Right. They received a high voltage warning. The, the pit wall received a high voltage warning from the car. It wasn't something that Albin can see. And Albin was not at risk because he was in the car, so he was safe. But when that alarm, when that alert gets triggered, 
what it tells the team is that it is not safe to touch the vehicle while the engine is running. The only way to, dis to discharge the power on it so it is safe to touch would be to shut the ignition off. So if they brought Albin in to do a tire change, the only way they could change the tires was they ha he had to shut the ignition off. Which so would they, have pulled them out of the race. So they couldn't even go and, you know, if, if you recall how the car runs into the pit box, there's the front jackman who's sitting right there and the car basically runs into the jack with the rear jackman who comes right behind it. They can't touch the car. So they couldn't even do a normal stop practice because the car wasn't safe. So as a result, they left him out, and he one-stopped. Mm. He didn't finish in the points, but everybody was alive to see the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> but... He liked that moment. He, he was all for that. The peanut gallery is very talkative <laughs> this evening. So... Then there was Sebastian Vettel. Again, can my eyeballs audibly roll? Uh, that that was kind of my reaction to was I mean, it, it, at this point, I, I think what we are seeing is Sebastian Vettel coming apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, th that's the only way to describe it is how a professional driver who won four world championship titles completely fall apart. Yeah. At what, where, he sh where he should actually be as close to the pinnacle of, of, of his performance right now. He's got a car that certainly can compete. I mean, Leclerc is doing it. He's got a kid with a whole lot less experience who's making him look like a slug. And he's making errors like he did with Max. Yeah. That's it, just unconscionable that he ran into the Mac, back of Max. And the thing is, I know that he knew that he was at fault because they didn't have any radio of Vettel like, trying to blame Max. Well, he that. did. He did at first. He, he, he initially radioed back, and I don't have the clip there. Uh, he, he, questioned, he, he said that Max had moved late. Mm, oh, that was right. Yeah. No, that was Max on Leclerc that he said moved late. He he had made a radio message of like, what is he doing or something. But he had made, right after the collision, Vettel had, had radioed back. Um, what we did not see in the States, because um, ESPN cut away from the sky coverage. To look at pedestrians and spectators? No, that was ESPN cutting away. That's ah. That wasn't the FIA world feed. Okay. That was ESPN saying, okay, we're done. Race is over. Time to hear about mothers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they cut off the champagne ceremony right there. Yeah. Um, but what Sky and some of the other cameras caught during, you know, post-race coverage was that Vettel approached Verstappen after, right after the race had concluded, and they exchanged a handshake. So Max was asked about it. Um, Max said, I guess he misjudged his braking in there, but I already spoke to him. He apologized to me immediately out of the car, and that's it. It's disappointing, but you can't change it now. So when Vettel ended up in the pen, in the media pen, and explained what happened, Vettel said, I thought the inside will open up, but it didn't open up. 
I looked for it. It looked for a second as though he was pulling to the middle of the track, but then he stayed left, and then I was too close and couldn't avoid the crash. He was asked about his his view of the penalty that he received, and Vettel said, "It's fine. It was my mistake." Wow, that's uncharacteristic for Vettel. Yeah. Now, uh, Max also explained. Um, well, he told us some of the damage that he had had. He actually said that he was uh, surprised that he, he didn't need to retire the car. I was really stunned. As far deep in the gravel pit as he gravel trap he got into, oh, I was stunned. It, it was more than just that. I mean, yeah, we were surprised he made out of the gravel trap when um, Giovinazzi didn't. But he also said that the power steering more or less failed, so it was quite a hard workout for me out there. And the seat popped up, so it was moving around a lot. Oh, my word. He said the diffuser was broken, the floor was broken, and underneath he could see parts falling off. So, yeah, it was not great. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, fifth, big deal. Wow. So, follow-up to some of the things that are going on and some of the grumping that we have heard from Sebastian Vettel, um, the press went to Matteo Bonotto, team principal over at Ferrari, and, and asked him... You know, what's going on? Is Seb still committed? Is the team committed to him? What's happening? You know, that kind of a thing. And, and unlike when in, in the last Maurizio Arriva Bene was running the team, Bonotto actually responded. Whoa. Well, he, he's willing to talk to the press with his Harry Potter glasses. He and does have <laughs> Harry Potter glasses. He just needs That's the what scar. I think every time I see it is, dude, you just need that, that lightning bolt scar in your forehead. You'd have it. <laughs> Nailed it, man. Maybe he'll do that for Halloween. You know, that would be a way to get in new uh, spectators. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, some Italian sounds like some of the Hogwarts spells and such. <laughs> anyway, back to Mattia Bonotto. <laughs> I'm not allowed to take this off the rails, am I? No, I'm, I'm not going to let you do it. <laughs> Not going to let you do it. Try as I may. I know. Um, Autosport asked him about Seb and said Seb's mindset and whether or not you know he's seeing any frustration from Seb, anything of those things. And Mattia said, I think that Seb is very happy at the moment. Obviously, he would be happier by winning races and with a more performant car. But I see he is really willing to race to win. His dream and his unique objective is to win with Ferrari. So no doubt that he's looking at the future as a person who is fully committed and interested. He's a nice guy. I, I, I was going to say, one of the two has already had the conversation of, yes, this is your last season. I will be stunned if he does not announce a retirement. Well, so one of the, the rumors that has been flying around, silly season being what it is, is that um, Vettel may be looking to approach Red Bull for a return because Gasly has not been impressive. I don't know. I don't know if they'd take him, honestly. Well, Christian Horner was asked for comment on this. Naturally. And in, in all honesty, what Christian said is pretty much what I would have expected Christian to say. Um, He said, our philosophy at Red Bull has always been to invest in young talent. 
That's the purpose with Toro Rosso. It's to nurture and develop young talent. Pierre's had a tough first half of the year. We know what he's capable of. We know what he's capable of, which he hasn't really shown full hand. I think with time and with patience, it will come right for him. Formula One is an impatient spot, sport, but our philosophy is very much to invest in youth and give young talent an opportunity and chance. Therefore, we obviously keep a close eye on a nurturing talents at Toro Rosso. In other words, no, he's not coming back because we only hire from within, which is what they have been consistent about. So right. that makes perfect sense to me. I can't imagine him going back to Red Bull, honestly. So here's what I kind of think it might happen. One, I, I think, yeah, Sebastian's probably done this year. Mm-hmm. I, I just, if he doesn't say, I'm done with this, that Ferrari doesn't get fed up. Because, in, I mean, in terms of performance for him this year, this has been arguably worse than any driver we have seen in the last 10 years. Exactly. Easily. Um, so I would suspect that if they were willing to cut Kimi Raikkonen loose right after he won a world championship and Michael Schumacher loose while he was still doing really well for the team, I don't see how they're going to be willing to stay with Seb. And oh, by the way, Daniel Ricardo's on a one-year contract at Renault. Yep. That definitely has some possibilities. But the other thing to keep in mind is it would be one thing because the argument will come out. Well, they kept Fernando around for a while, you know, when he wasn't winning championships, but he was the second driver to Red Bull. So he Fernando was number two to Vettel those four years. No, Fernando was never not number two like that. He was the second in the series. It's second. Oh, he came in second. Well, the the difference though with Fernando and what happened there was one. Fernando in twenty twelve, everyone freely admitted that the Ferrari was not a good car, mm-hmm. and that the only reason why they had done as well as they had done, and that Fernando came and and brought that championship down to the very last race was because of Fernando. All right. So, yeah, he was number two. He, he came in second place to, to, to Seb, but he was still performing, and in that case, outperforming the car. And it wasn't until the last year of Fernando was at Ferrari that Fernando had had enough, and it wasn't because of the fact that Fernando wasn't producing for the car or Fernando was getting in a lot of incidents or anything like that. It was because the car sucked and they weren't delivering to him a, a car that could contend. On the other hand, you've got Seb, who has had not once but twice now a car that potentially could be a contender. And the reason why they're not winning is Seb's fault as opposed to the car's fault. Well, that's where I was going. And okay. what I was trying to get to is it's not like Seb is competing for second place right now. Yeah. Botas has got second place. He's the 30... He Well, going into Britain, he was 31 points behind Lewis. He's now 56 points behind Lewis. 57 um, points behind Lewis. So that's the thing. Is It would be a different story if Vettel was 
losing, but losing in second place. Vettel is falling further and further back and losing to his teammate, which we all know in Formula One, you are actually only racing your teammate. That's the thing right there, is that he has not been able to fight with his teammate. And when he has, he hasn't come out well. No. No. I think that he's going to declare that he wants to spend time with his family. I don't know. That this season has been mentally grueling on him and he needs to spend time with his family. I don't know who's going to pull the plug. They need to come together and do it mutually. Yeah, but that they're not be, going that, to. That would be the class act they're way not, of doing They're it. not going to. I mean, again, Ferrari yanked the rug out of Schumacher, out from underneath Schumacher. True. So, yeah. Um, and Seb does say that depending on what the rules look like in tw- for 2021 is whether or not he stays for 2021. I don't think we're going to get there. But that's what he's saying. Yeah, maybe I, he's I, got one more year in him, but I, I, I would not be surprised if we get to September, October, maybe even early November, and it's... Seb's leaving Ferrari at the end of the season, and we've signed Daniel Ricciardo. That would be very interesting. I, I, I have a feeling that that's going to be what happens. It would be interesting. It would be awesome for Ricciardo. That would, and, and, you know, if you think about it, that would probably also lead to a major psychological shift over at Ferrari. I mean, you have someone with Ricciardo's personality, that is over the top, amazing and energetic and exciting. And then you've got Leclerc paired with him. Mm-hmm. That could be a very exciting matchup. But the problem is, given Ferrari's history, I don't know if they would be interested in the over the top, happy, thrilled driver well, that for that. Uh, Ricardo is. I don't know so much about that. Actually, what I what I do have to wonder is, and, and part of their problem right now is their commit outright commitment from the the opening of the season that we have a number one driver and we have a number two driver. And would either Charles or Daniel be happy with the number two driver next year? That at Ferrari. Yeah, that's the thing, is both of them would want to compete on the track and let them... Neither one of them is a Felipe Massa. No, neither one of them is. All right. So, oh, did you... No, I'm just watching the time and knowing that, uh, you know, I'm sensitive to our our marathon runner who's doing his long run right now. Well... (laughs) He's like... Guys, I, I'm about to dry heave over here. <laughs> so the, the last story I had. Okay. The, re- related to, to Lewis and the interesting call that, that happened of him being called into the pits on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. And defying that, which is very unusual for a driver to do. And even Lewis admits it is very unusual for a driver to do that. Lewis made the call because he said he felt comfortable with the cars, with the car, with the tires, the performance, and he believed that it was a risk 
to bring, yes, it would have been a free pit stop that he could have put on the softs, um, but he believed that it was a risk that he did not want to take because if they flubbed that pit stop, it would have given him, given away that victory. And I can completely respect that. I respect it more when he pulled out fastest lap on that last lap. Well, that's, what, you know, and, and it's not the first time that a Mercedes has pulled something like this on worn out tires. Well, elephants. Yeah. You know, Seb went for a fastest lap on the brand new soft tires and lost it to Lewis on race-worn tires on the last lap. And now we have it that he steals it away from Valtteri. I know. Well, they were trading. I mean, Lewis had yeah. fastest lap, and then Valtteri popped up fastest lap, and then Lewis came out with that last, with that last lap, and that was just, a, I mean, that was a, he had to have dropped into quality mode, party mode. Well, the, the team admitted and Lewis admitted that they gave him the extra power modes for that last lap, which on one hand, cool, you did that, but on the other, what about Valtteri, man? You just, you, you pitted him, you put him on the soft tires for this reason, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm sure you gave him the modes and all too, <coughs> but really you needed to do that for Lewis. Not that I think Lewis wouldn't have done it on his own if he wanted it, but. Yeah, I just, I thought it was, it was interesting. Of course, you know, then you, you still want the, hey, you know, where was that party mode on lap two when you two were fighting, like. Well, it, it, it's normal for them to hold those in reserve because... We want the lighter car. Well, there, there's that, and also if you blow up the engine. Yeah, don't blow up the engine. <laughs> Do not blow up the engine. Better you go and stress it out while you've got a lap left as opposed to, you know, 42 laps left. Yeah. So that that's the idea there, but yeah. But if you haven't figured it out, if you haven't watched the race, spoilers, Lewis won. He also won 26 points. Yeah, not 27. No, but he was 31 points ahead of Valtteri going into the race. Mm. So 57 points ahead of Valtteri. No, because Valtteri also got points too, oh, so it's not... It's not 25, yeah. 26 extra points. I can't do math. Math is hard. Yeah, as uh, Ted Kravitz demonstrated on the broadcast too. Yes, math is hard. <laughs> I think it's like 8 points more, so maybe 39 points ahead? Yeah. Let's go with that. That sounds better. Can you fix that in post? No. Okay. Can we at least hear Lewis singing? Oh, th- this this is what you have been waiting for. This, this is. is this is what you want. Exactly. <laughs> it's Lewis's favorite race. It's awesome. It's half a second a lap for the spectators. I mean, that cool down lap, the slowest cool down lap known to man. <laughs> that was awesome. So. We'll close out the show with one of my favorite moments, going back to 2015, between David Cothard and... Oh, oh, we can't, we can't close the show yet. We have to discuss something else about the sky coverage. Okay. It's short okay. and brief. So, you know they have Jensen Button showing up now. Oh, you had to go here. I have to. You I have to. to. Did you happen to notice... That Jensen is shopping at the same pants manufacturer that DC shops at? Um, it, it was hard not to be watching and not notice it. Those pants were so tight. Yeah, obviously they're going to the same stylist. 
Oh my. I mean, they are good buddies. Obviously, but I mean, come on, dude. Up a size. Jensen, Jensen and DC, they, they, they go back really far. I mean, they used to fly together and yeah, the, those pants, those that that was um, that was embarrassingly tight, speedo tight, as it were. Okay. Now, so for your unicorn chaser, <laughs> we're gonna close with this classic moment from the BBC broadcast with Eddie Jordan, Susie Perry, and David Gothard. Well, also, what's ridiculous is changing weather. It's now freezing cold. <laughs> from being <laughs> boiling hot earlier. It's welcome to British summertime, isn't yeah. it, really? You're actually shaking. I am. You're Uncle. Scottish, for goodness sake, man He doesn't up. live in this climate <laughs> anymore. He doesn't I'm, live here. I'm up wind. I'm like a windbreak for you two. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.